0: Right. if you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 6, it's good to see you this morning. If you would stand with me as I read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Almighty God, please help us to understand our roles in the church that you have called us to in order to serve you for your glory and for the church. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us wisdom where we lack, strengthen our faith, and grace us with your grace. That we would be empowered to serve you whenever and wherever and however you may call us. Father, as I often pray, what we do not know this morning, teach us. What we have not and we need, provide for us. And what we are not, make us for your glory and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've been attending for the last couple of weeks, you know that Coastal Oaks is in the process of nominating and selecting a new batch of deacons to mess up. I mean, uh, <laughs> to set straight. Uh, to set me straight. We have five outstanding men who have been serving the Lord for a number of years, but they're a bit overworked sometimes. Five deacons in a church our size is a little bit short. God has laid it upon our hearts to go through the process of nominating men in the church who fit this description of Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And it just so happens, as God's timing is always perfect, that Acts chapter 6 is next up. So here we go. Friends, when God calls you into service, there is but one response that is right and appropriate. Do you know what it is? Yes, Lord. Some of y'all have been listening. All right. Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 8, Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire is for your name and renown. In Isaiah chapter 6, When God was looking for someone to send out, Isaiah spoke up and said, here am I, send me. What do you say this morning when God calls you to serve in the church? The theology and the truth of this passage is that we are called to serve at different times, at different ways, at different places. Sometimes it's for a very specific ministry like Acts chapter 6. Not only are we called to serve, but God will always equip us and gift us for that kind of service. What we see happening in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 7, let's just simply call it good growth. It's good growth. It's important to note that it's good growth. Growth isn't happening because these Jesus guys are popular or because they're good-looking, or because they're the latest church flavor in town. I don't call it good growth because the church in Jerusalem is trying to get members from other churches to attend who may be upset or disgruntled. It's good growth because the people are coming through the gospel of Christ. Lives are being changed As the apostles, day in and day out, are proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and that God raised him on the third day and has seated him at his right hand. Gospel-centered growth is never a bad thing, ever. It's always a good thing. It's always a godly thing. It's a glorifying God thing. Now, there are times in the church where those who have been in the church for a while might perceive it to be a bad thing. They might perceive it to to say, all these new people coming in, makes us old folk a little nervous. I don't know anybody anymore. Pastor, to which I would just kindly say, dear friend, get out of your holy huddle. There are beautiful people here. Lots of people in this community that we must get to know. And if you don't get out of the holy huddle, you're not going to get to know them. And some of them are pretty cool. Luke bookends this story with good growth, that the church is growing. It's healthy. And even with a problem, it's still healthy with how it handles the problem. But it's healthy and it's growing. Look at how they arrived at this moment. If you go back to the first five chapters... In Acts chapter 1, Jesus called the apostles and tells them, you will be my witnesses. We're still in Jerusalem at this point. That's about to end. But we're still in Jerusalem at this point through Luke's narrative. They are still witnessing passionately by preaching the gospel, even the face of persecution, trial and arrest, and now a physical beating that we saw at the end of chapter 5. And the church is growing because of the gospel, because the Holy Spirit is active in it all, And that the members of the church are actively in their lane, just as God has called them to do, serving one another. When God draws people to himself, the church will grow. A community organization can grow, a church that functions like a community organization can grow. If we're in it to build the kingdom of Coastal Oaks, we can make that happen. We can strategize enough. We can do all of those organizing uh, uh, things that we want to do. We can can do all of that and grow an organization. But we want to grow God's way. And the church is the only thing in this world built by the empowering presence of God, having trusted in Christ Jesus, embracing the gospel, being filled with the spirit and proclaiming that gospel to the ends of the earth. And we know that that church will not be stopped. At this point in Acts chapter six, some estimate the church to be around 20,000 people. Those are the, that's the high end. There's some lower, just depends on how you take the numbers that Luke presents to us. It's a megachurch. <laughs> I wouldn't want to pastor a megachurch. But wouldn't it be amazing to see, I mean, it would be amazing to me, it's a, it would be, an, it'd be a problem, but it's a good problem to hear, Pastor, we need more small groups because all of our small groups are at capacity. Pastor, we may need to think of a, another service time because our early bird special at nine o'clock and the lunch crowd at 11 is full. Because God's causing that kind of growth and that we are that kind of gospel-centered people. And to that, I would just simply say to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ever ask or imagine or even think to ask, that is according to the power that is at work in us, that is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. He is able. So we've got good growth happening. But with good growth comes a growing problem. Look at the end of verse 1, or about halfway through. He says, Luke writes, There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. There's a reason behind this problem. The reason... The church is growing, growing rapidly. According to the several authors I read this week, they all kind of said the same thing, and I'll sum it up by saying this. Gospel growth should be celebrated, but it always brings blessing, opportunity, and problems. Look again. The good is the growth. The bad, there's complaining. The ugly, they're missing out on Food, the distribution of food. Now, I believe it because I've heard it said the church shouldn't have any kind of problems. We shouldn't have issues. We hold the church to a very high standard. Why? Somebody might be looking at this and saying, shouldn't the apostles have seen this coming? I mean, where was their strategic planning? Where was the strategic planning committee in all of this? They didn't see this coming, that the Hellenistic Jews would be overlooked because they, they speak Greek and not Hebrew. Where was the strategic planning? I can't believe Peter and John. I mean, even Andrew didn't see it coming. But on the flip side of this, you also don't hear the apostles saying, no one cares. They pay us and expect us to do it all. The fact of the matter is the church is made up of people. We are saved by grace. We are not perfect yet. We're on this journey, and I love the song by Stephen Curtis Chapman from the late 90s that entitled Not Home Yet. It's just a great reminder that we're not home yet. And we need to remember that. The church in Acts chapter 6 says, as much as we would love to think that the, the church in Acts was perfect in every single way, they are not, and we see Here a problem that if not dealt with correctly and godly would cause a fraction and division and dissension in the church. This is one of the moments when because of a great outpouring of God's grace and the movement of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel and the ministry of the church that that growth is exploding. John Piper pointed out in one of his sermons about the parable of the net that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13, that in that net, in the parable, there's debris, there's bad fish that come in with the good fish. So sometimes growth is not always the kind of growth we're looking for. We saw that in Ananias and Sapphira. They made a huge mistake in lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to God and putting up a front in the church. We'll see it again in another man by the name of Simon the Magician who wants to tap into the what he perceives as the magical powers of Peter and John and some of the other apostles. Simon's a bit of an imposter. Even in good churches, strong churches, sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we don't see the problem. And so that problem has to be addressed. And I would just simply ask you, that when that happens here, don't take off. Stay the course with us, and let's grow together through our issues and through our problems. It's encouraging to me when I read Acts chapter 6 that there is a problem that is addressed quickly and godly. Here's the issue. It's the Hellenists versus the Hebrews. Now, that may be Greek to you, and that's accurate. The Hellenists are the Greek Jews. They have been spread out. Exile, another time called the Diaspora, they've spread out. They're not, they were not born in Jerusalem, but they're still full-blood Jew. But they don't speak the native, they don't speak the heart language, the Hebrew. They don't even speak Aramaic, right? They're speaking Greek. And so, hmm, pastor, they're not from the right side of the tracks, they're not from the right side of town, if you will. Then you've got the he- the Hebraic Jews. Obviously, they are in Jerusalem, born and raised. They're from there. And there's an issue. Some have said that this, this is an issue of discrimination, and it could be. The problem is that the food distribution is not going well. Here's the issue with that. The, the issue is that for a widow in this time, and it's still hard today, obviously. I'm not going to make light of it today by any means. But at that point, these, the, the Greek Jews had come back. The widows had come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a holy place for, for the Jew, right? Obviously, it would be a holy place for us too. But they would come back, and maybe they came back with their husband, and, but he has passed away, and the family is still off somewhere else in some other part of the land, the land and they are there by themselves. They don't speak the native language, they speak Greek. It's hard to get by. A, a, an older woman in this time would, would struggle at best to get by. So as the church had, this, had seen this need, it was a part of Jewish life, That they would uh, weekly give out uh, alms, and then they would daily give out food, right? You just don't go to H-E-B, either the frozen section, and put it in your freezer and save it for next week. It's daily that they had to have food. And so the church took an active role in meeting these needs, but these needs are being missed for the Greek-speaking widows. And so the apostles are going to address the issue. Now, we don't know if their complaint, imagine that, a complaint in the church, but we don't know if that complaint went straight to the apostles or if it was being spread around. We don't know. But do this for me. If you are offended or hurt in the church, that hurt or that offense does not justify a poor response. We have to respond appropriately. Godly, the godly response is to address the problem and extend forgiveness, because we're all saved by grace. Because if that problem continued in Acts chapter 6, then division is the real threat, dissension. And that's exactly what our enemy and adversary would want. Now, the apostles present this problem in another way. They present it in a a different perspective. 12 in number, if that number is around 20,000, that's a huge number to try to minister to. Now, they all don't participate in the food distribution, but that's a huge number, right? How can they handle that kind of distribution, that kind of weight, and continue to focus on prayer and preaching to which they were called to do? It's not that the task was below them. We'll, you'll remember well John chapter 13, where Jesus washed their feet and taught them how they would be serving You remember well in Mark chapter 10, how Jesus told them that he himself had not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, and that they would implement that standard into their own life. But we'll also remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told them, as you go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, all that I have observed, all that I have taught you to observe. Teach them to observe everything I've taught. We also remember in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus said, you will be my witness. You will testify about what you have seen and what you have heard. So it's not that that task was below them, but it's that they had been called to the task of making disciples, teaching, preaching, and baptizing. And if they had left that ministry for the service of tables, that focus, to the ends of the earth, would no longer be focused on the ends of the earth, but rather it would be focused on the tables of Jerusalem. They've gone from outside looking to inward. Any church that turns its eyes away from its community and the lost and only looks inward is a church that's quickly going to be plateaued and will eventually start declining and close her doors. We have to maintain a balance of both. And that is the solution to what is happening, because there is always space for both inward and outward focus. In ministry. We must take care of one another, and yet we must also continue to proclaim the gospel. So here's the proposed solution. The solution the apostles present, I believe, is a spirit-led solution. God is leading them. The, The leadership that they offer and that they bring to the table is that it would not be right for them to serve tables and neglect the calling of God, which is how Jesus had called them to serve and to preach the gospel. They were the only twelve who witnessed his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. They are the ones with the gospel message. And if they're serving tables, then they're not telling the story of Jesus. Both tasks are vitally important. In verse six, uh, excuse me, verse two of chapter six, there is a verb, diakoneo, and it means to serve. It's where we pull our word for deacon. Now, you won't find the name or the title deacon in Acts chapter 6, but many believe that the seven that are chosen here are the first set of deacons in the church. Rather than the title, what you find first is that they are called to serve. Jesus told these disciples, excuse me, these apostles that their service would be preaching the gospel. Now these seven are called to serve and wait on these tables. And so the apostles bring the church together, and they have the church, not the apostles select, but the church selects seven men with the following qualities. This is found in verses 3 and 4. The first one is a good reputation. They should be well thought of, well spoken of in the congregation so that they can meet the approval of the believers. Then they need to be full of the Spirit, that there should be evidence in their life that their life is transformed by the gospel that's being proclaimed by the apostles. There's evidence of this. Now, how would we know that? In God's providence and his sovereignty, he's provided us Galatians chapter five, which gives us the fruit of the spirit. That's where Paul wrote out, this is how you know if you're living in the spirit or living in the flesh, and there's a pretty, uh, a pretty large difference in both of those lists. There's not a whole lot of gray area. In fact, there's no gray area between either one of those in Galatians chapter 5. And so they look, is there, is there evidence of this man being full of the spirit? And then he also says he must be full of wisdom, that there must be evidence that this man can, can make a sound judgment when he is pressed and under pressure. And so these seven men that are called out are to oversee this distribution of food, this daily task. And the apostles were able to continue then in their devotion to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so then Luke provides for us in verse five, the roster, here's the selection committee. This is what they've come up with, your top seven. Each one of these men meet the criteria. And we need to remember that each one of these men are selected because of the life change that has occurred through Christ Jesus. It's not that they bring something to the table. It's that something was brought to them, and that something was Jesus Christ. Now, we have Stephen. We're going to hear a lot about Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. He's a man that's full of faith. He's a man that's full of the Spirit, and he's not going to be afraid to, to step on your toes, In fact, he'll lose his life. He's going to be the first martyr for the gospel. Then we have Philip. We're also going to learn a little bit about Philip. And then we have the rest of the crew. We don't know anything really about them. Luke does does not give us any more information about these guys other than their names at this point. But the final approval is up to the church. And so the church puts them in. Faithfully, the problem is solved. These seven start serving as they are called and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. And then we see in verse seven, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. What a blessing that the church was growing in its good gospel-centered growth because of excellent gospel-centered ministry and the Holy Spirit at work There arose a problem. It was biblically and accurately and quickly addressed, and the church continues to grow. Hmm, must be something there for us. We're able to see that the apostles were able to maintain the main thing, and that the distribution of food and care for the widows is now being overseen, and the complaining stops. There is peace in the church. There is a growing and powerful word of God, so much so that there is a group of Jewish priests who come to faith in Jesus. Friend, a surrendered church, a surrendered church doesn't shy away from conflict, but takes the opportunity to grow and increase its impact with spirit-led solutions every time, solutions that are gospel-centered, and concerned about God's glory. Here's a couple other things we can learn from this. We need to know when we look at the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews that people matter to God. They matter. I love Celeste's testimony and what they're doing there in Thailand. Those little ones, they matter to God. The widow, the orphan, they matter to God. The alien, they matter to God. And ministry comes in all shapes and sizes, and each one is important for the church. You have a role to play in that. Ministry can get messy. Absolutely, it can be messy. But this chapter illustrates for us the importance of what we call lay leadership, lay servant leadership in the local church, where we see a need and fill the need whether it's greeting people as they come in for the first time into Coastal Oaks or it's serving in the nursery like so many of you faithfully do or in our children's ministry in the, uh, to, to look after our littlest sheep or serving on Wednesday night with our students. Some of you are going through training on Tuesday nights to lead small groups. Every ministry matters because people matter. Second thing I point out is that good gospel-centered growth is our aim for it brings the most glory to God. Gospel-centered growth is our aim, for it brings the most glory to God. We will see gospel-centered growth because it is a direct result of, gospel, of a gospel-centered church. If we make the gospel our main thing. We'll see it happen. I'm gonna speak more on deacons in a couple of weeks as we get closer to that. But I want to invite you this morning to be praying for the five deacons that we have. They're good men. They're godly men. And God is calling them to increase their number. There are some other men this morning that have an envelope in their hands, and they're going to be working and praying through that process this week. That group is going to get back together and meet some more and talk some more and pray some more. In a couple of weeks, we'll look to a a time where, just as the apostles did in Acts chapter 6, we're going to lay our hands on them. Not like that. Seriously, we will lay our hands on them and pray. And God will have called out the called. And these men will be set to serve faithfully as they already do in our church family. One last little point. Before I close with a story, I just want to say this. You see somebody that's not on staff and they're serving, say thank you. You already say thank you to your staff on our anniversaries. You saw that today. But there's a lot of people that stand at those doors and greet. There's a lot of folks that work back in the nursery in the children's area. There's a lot of folks that work on Wednesday night with student ministry. There's a lot of folks that do a lot of things around here. Say thank you when you see them. Let them know you see them. Be thankful that they're opening a door, saying hello, getting coffee ready for you. I would say there's donuts, but apparently now they're hidden. We'll work on that in staff meeting this week. But say thank you. Say thank you. I read a funny story, kind of a dumb story, but it makes the point well. So I'm gonna share it with you because sometimes I just do dumb things. There was a football game. This is why it relates. There's a football game between the little animals and the big animals. The score was 84 to 0 at halftime. Big animals, obviously, in charge. Hopeless situation. Little animals kicked off to start the third quarter after halftime and... Something changed. Somehow, the chimpanzee who handled the kickoff was tackled at the 10-yard line. That had not happened. The worst field position of the day. First down. On first down, they ran the big elephant right up the middle. He was stopped at the line of scrimmage. On second down, they threw a pass to the zebra. The pass was broken up. On third down, a deep pass to the giraffe. I mean, who could miss a tall giraffe? Again, the pass was broken up, no gain. Fourth down and a punt. As the defense came off the field, the little animals came screaming off the field in excitement that they finally had stopped the big animals. And the the defensive coach, over all the excitement, he said, wait a minute, who made the tackle on the kickoff? The centipede spoke up and said, I did, coach. Well, who stopped the elephant down the middle? Again, the centipede spoke up. I did, coach. Who stopped the elephant? Who stopped the centipede? Uh, the centipede said, I did. Who knocked down those two passes to the giraffe and the zebra? I did, coach. To the coach's amazement, he said, well, where were you in the first half? And he said, Coach, I was taping up my ankles. <laughs> what a dumb story, right? <laughs> but it makes the point. Too many of us are in the locker room taping our ankles when our team desperately needs us on the field. Scripture is telling us about men who not only willingly, but Readily served when a ministry was needed. When it came to the surface, God called them out and they said, Yes, Lord. And the church continued to grow. The church continued to serve together. Stephen's going to offer us a great example of a man who knew the word of God well enough to proclaim it publicly, eloquently. But I would ask you, what is your ministry? What is God calling you to? Now, I understand some of you are not ready. So when we start small groups, get in one. Get ready. But here's a question to leave on. Would would you have been selected that day in Jerusalem to take care of the widows? Because ultimately, the only important ministry is the one to which God has called you to the one that God has equipped you for, and the one that God will lead you through. Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a player in the game. I wanna encourage you to get into the game because we are a part of the church and we are blessed and privileged to be in the church.